fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Welcome to The Bible Speaks with Audley McLean. The Bible Speaks is a weekly ministry of Harvest International. Our prayer is that the Bible Speaks will encourage you in your study of God's Word. You will be able to contact Audley at the address given at the end of this broadcast. And now, here's Audley. Well, 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 hello. Let me raise a question. Do you think it's it might be confusing to some people what this weekend is all about? People living right there in your neighborhood or in our civilized Western world? What I mean is, there was a time when there was a kind of a feel when it came to things like Good Friday and Easter Day. and um, But I believe there's less and less of that outward embrace. Perhaps fewer people have been exposed. What I mean is, for example, in most of the British Empire and where I grew up and Canada, some provinces, and even some states in the United States still make Good Friday a bank holiday, a public holiday. And then in those countries I mentioned, Monday after Easter is also a public holiday. And so there's a mark, there's an outward sign that something special is happening around this time of the year. But I think less and less of them really add any religious activity. It's just a good time, and it's time for the Easter bunnies and the Easter buns and the Easter egg hunt. And I'm not putting any ugly mark on that. I'm saying is that I think that people need to hear what this season is all about. So today I'd like to take ours back. Let us go back to where this thing really had its origination. I wish for us to think of the events of Friday through Sunday, Good Friday through Easter Day. I want us to think beyond the streamlined, sanitized, highly orchestrated Easter presentation and all these trappings and give ourselves a moment to think about the brutal, agonizing, startling weekend as a divine drama in which Satan has a hand, but God's eternal purpose is being worked out. We start at the Garden of Gethsemane, from the Garden of Gethsemane to the high priest's house, from the high priest's house to Pilate's judgment hall, from Pilate's judgment hall to the faltering walk of our Savior up the steps of old Jerusalem bearing his cross, going to a place called the place of a skull, Golgotha's Hill, the place called Calvary. From there the story propels us to Joseph's new tomb in the garden. But all the drama doesn't end there. He's put there in the tomb, wrapped in white linen cloth, but that's not the end of the story. Then came the morning, the morning when the tomb could not contain him, the morning when the stone was rolled away. Hallelujah! He's not here. 
is risen. That's the capsulized version of this weekend. Well, let's go back through some of the movements that we have just driven by. We won't do them all. There won't be time enough. But we'll take a look at a couple or three of them. First, let's ask God to help really see this the way he wants it to be. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to see the Calvary work of the Lord Jesus. Help us to see it with renewed vision. Help us to renew our commitment to him who gave his all for us upon the cross of Calvary. We pray for any who have not embraced the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. We pray that they may accept the truth that Jesus died and rose again to save us from our sin and the consequences of it. Lord, glorify your great name as we contemplate the cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, my friend, let's visit with Jesus as he prays in the garden. Let's stop there for a moment. He's on the Mount of Olives. Luke tells us in chapter 22, he prayed more fervently and was in such an agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I suggest to you that Jesus wasn't as much stressed about the pain and the suffering and the lashing and the crucifixion that lay ahead of him, more stressed was he about the fact that he was bearing sin, the sinless Son of God, the one who came into the world and lived like we did, equaled himself to us, he called himself the Son of Man, but he never sinned. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In that same passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, we read, For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Reconciliation is an accounting term. You come to the end of the quarter, or the month, or the fiscal year, and you reconcile the book. Or reconciliation is the child who has wandered from home, comes back home, and mom and dad receive him, or the husband and wife who were separated, they're brought back and reconciled. That's what God did for us. When Jesus died upon the cross, he reconciled God to us. We would, we would turn our backs on God through our four parents in the Garden of Eden, and Jesus came as our reconciler. We need to linger at this point and think of the reality that the holy, mighty God to whom sin is a great offense so loves you and me that he was willing to send his Son to represent the Godhead, to suffer and bleed and die. He died for us. He loves us. He became man so that he could be an equal substitute, but as God he was a sufficient substitute. No other person like Jesus. 
at a moment like this, we should weep with our suffering Savior, the one who was our substitute. He took our place. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, I said earlier, because he wanted us to know that he understood our pain. He's gone through the temptations and the trials we did. I think I hear a listener saying right now, glory to God he came. We couldn't spend, we would never be able to spend enough time to truly pay homage to our Savior. We could do it for the rest of our lives. He deserves it. Oh, my friend, will you take time during this weekend to read Luke 22, how he gave himself to those who hated him? Well, from the garden, he went to the high priest's house. The high priest, you think, would be on his side? He was a leader among the Jewish people, but they had become a political entity. They had politicized the message of the Messiah. They had orchestrated a Messiah who would meet their immediate material and political ends. Jesus wasn't the one they were looking for, not the one who would lay down his life for our sins. They wanted their peace now. And my friend Jesus came for more than that. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son. From the condemnation and false charges that he laid upon him, Jesus bore it all. He never said a word. The Bible said he wouldn't. And when they were done with him in Pilate's, in Caiaphas' house, in the high priest's house, they took him to the civil government, the Roman governor. They accused him of claiming to be the Son of God. But before the Roman government, they said that he wanted to overturn the Roman government. He was disloyal to Rome. This is the same Jesus who said, what belongs to Caesar, give it to him. He had no disloyalty, but he came for a higher purpose and he was prepared to execute the program for which he came. Oh, my friend, and they condemned him. The very religious leaders plotted to have him put to death. And the Bible says, they crucified him. They nailed him to a cross. They made him to suffer and die. But he didn't die because they wished it. The Bible says he called with a loud voice. It is finished. And he gave up the course. He chose to go for you, for me. This season ought to remind us that the Savior deserves our very best, the one who died for us. He said he would die, a criminal's death. He says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to me. He said to Nicodemus, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so will I be lifted up, that whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. This was fulfillment of the prediction he made about himself. In that same passage, he goes on 
to say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's not forget that Jesus knew what was going to happen. He did it for you. He did it for me. Let's borrow the words of Catherine Kelly, that 19th century poet who wrote, Give me a sight, O Savior, of thy wondrous love to me, of the love that brought thee down to earth to die on Calvary. O make me understand it, help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. My friend, make that your prayer. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. My friend, he bore the sin. He was buried, he rose again. And you know what? He's coming back. But you must embrace him as Savior now, and he will embrace you when he comes again. God grant that your Easter weekend may be full of the joy of the risen Christ. Amen. I've wandered far away from God. This program is cared for by listeners who care. Your prayers and financial investment in this ministry helps to keep the good news on the air. We look forward to hearing from you and invite you to write us at Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478. Again, that's Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478.